Hello, brothers and sisters. How many of you just came for today? You weren't here last night. Raise your hand. Oh, about half of you. Well, what's the story here? <laughs> okay, well, welcome. We're glad you're here today. We're going to sing three songs uh, tonight. Um, this song is uh, a song that comes from this verse. It's, I press on. And this is exactly the writer's heart when he wrote this hymn. I know you know the old tune. You sang it last night. We're going to sing it by a different tune. I think some of you know the tune, uh, but uh, because I wrote it. But if you don't, you'll learn it pretty quick. Okay? Because I have my featured singer up here along with me. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm
think you've gotten up to higher ground since last time we were together. Seemed like a long time ago, but it was last night. Well, praise God. All right, let's um, go on. Now, this is a... This comes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Do you know this chorus? Very simple chorus. It's an old chorus. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. on to know the Lord, but the problem is that the saints were carrying baggage of idols so that they couldn't go. And so this is the request. Let's press on to know the Lord. Because He's as faithful as the dawn. Tomorrow morning the sun's going to come up and He's as wonderful as the fresh spring rain that waters the earth. That's how faithful God is. And the call is for us to be faithful too. So maybe we could sing this little chorus. So let us know let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And He will come. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring come to us. When we turn to Him, He will come to us.
scripture that says that the righteous one will live by faith and if he shrinks back my soul has no delight in him we know there's only two ways to go here we can shrink back from our Lord or press into him we pray tonight that you will give us the courage of faith the belief that your precious blood has made us worthy to press in and to know you help us this night as we share these things together in Jesus precious name amen Looking in Philippians chapter 3 <clears throat> at, the ver- at the verses that we want to focus on. Let's start tonight in verse 8. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. You see, there's a lot behind pressing on. As we said last night, there's got to be a forgetting. A leaving behind of some things that hold us down from pressing into the Lord and up higher into the Lord. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. There is a knowledge that is more excellent than the Encyclopedia Britannica. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And for that, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. At the end, I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, any way, any circumstance, through anything, I want to know him. That's what I press in. That's what it's all about. Not that I've already obtained. One translation says, not that I've already reached the goal. 
Not that I've only get, already gained the price. No, 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 I haven't yet. Nor am I already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The Greek word there is arrest. That I may arrest that for which I was arrested by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself to have laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then here's the little exhortation from Hosea that we just sang. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He'll raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. That's Hosea 6, verses 1 through 4. And we're here this weekend. I think most of us are here because we want to press in. Know the Lord. We know we've got baggage. Hosea said, you guys have baggage. You can't go on to know the Lord if you've got idols. And idolatry today comes in the forms of iPhones, in the form of uh, our, our social uh, media, and these become idols so much that when we used to pray, now we're on the phone. And we can't press higher if we're so distracted by just so much stuff barraging us. But Paul was preoccupied with pressing on to know the Lord. And this was a secret to Paul having a most exciting, full, loving, noble life. The man did not become a millionaire. As a matter of fact, he ended up in prison and was martyred for his faith. But outside of Jesus Christ walking this earth itself, it's hard to know of a man who lived a fuller, higher, more wonderful life. Right to the end of his life, he was climbing higher, up above where the clouds are, where most people can't see, up on Monte Cristo. Christ, this great mountain of what it means, this fullness of Christ, this which he was pursuing. He saw the beauty at the top of the mountain. He was like one of those guys climbing up Everest. You just couldn't stop him. He was seeing the end and he was pressing on. He even had counted loss, not just bad stuff, baggage. He counted loss the good stuff he had done. Because, you know, good stuff you've done can keep you in the way from pressing forward too. You can get satisfied, whatever, you know, lukewarm because of things you've done in the past. No, 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 no. He wants to lay hold and, and we want to press on to know the Lord. That's the goal, is to know Him. To know this glorious Lord, this loving Lord, this, this Lord of life, this mount of discovery. Every new Christian here, and some of you are junior high kids, and I know you're young in the Lord, but it's never too early to begin to press in and discover more of who the Lord is. Because never forget this, whoever the Lord has saved, He's interested in being known he saved you now he has a relationship with you and he's interested in you getting to know him he's not just saving you as a whole mass of people he's saving you individually one by one and he wants you to get to know him and him to get to know you so this is what we're talking about so tonight we're trying to explain a little bit some of this that Paul is chasing after. As I said before, our brother Daniel Chen yesterday morning did a great job of defining some of these things. 
I'll, I'll just take and build upon what he said. Because when we can see, when we see Paul talking about these things, we know that he's pressing on to something more. When he says that I may know him, of course, we're struck by the fact that he's already known the Lord for 33 years when he says this. So what does it mean? I know the Lord, but I want to know the Lord. Now, how do you feel? You feel, well, I know the Lord. That's enough. <laughs> Not for Paul. He says, I know the Lord, but I want to know the Lord. You say, well, what do you mean, Paul? You're talking in circles. Well, well, I, I've seen the foothills of the Lord, but I want to see the very top, the apex of the mountain. I, I want to be up there. I want to see the Lord in his fullness. I want to see every side of this many-sided Lord that I have uh, touched with and gotten to know. And there's a principle behind this that I hope you can understand because this will take us through the whole rest of the evening, and it's this. We don't come to know the Lord in isolation. That is just sitting there and, and cogitating, you know. Oh, oh, Lord, show me yourself. Lord, show me yourself. All you do if you do that long enough is probably fall asleep. <laughs> Because you don't find the Lord in this kind of isolation. Now, I'm not saying you can't go aside and pray and fast and seek the Lord and discover things. But what I'm talking about is this. You discover the Lord, listen, through the veil of life. We now see things in a glass darkly. Now, what does that mean? That mirror is not totally clear. We don't see the Lord totally clear yet, but we get glimpses of the Lord every time we break through the veil of that which is around us. And we say, ah, there's the Lord. Just like some of those people in the Old Testament who are saying, ah, I don't know where God is. And suddenly God shows up and says, ah, there's the Lord. The Lord is right behind the veil of our experience in life. And so it was for Paul. And that exploration is that inquisitive heart that presses in to know more about what's going on until you see through that veil. In Hebrews 11, many of the saints are talked about who were great men of faith. Abraham, he saw the city whose builder and maker was God. Well, did he really see a city? He was looking for the city. Well, he didn't see it. And what was he looking for? I mean, what does it look like? Well, he couldn't give you the architecture of it nor the blueprint of it, but he had this intuitive sense that there's something more. He lived in the area of Babylon, but you know what? Babylon, one of the greatest cities of the world in those days. And he looked at it and said, no, that's not what I want. And he came to Jerusalem where Melchizedek was, called Salem in those days. And there he had an experience with God. He didn't know later that would become the city of God. And he kept on trekking through his life, through Hebron and Beersheba, different places, looking for that city. You say, well, what does it look like? You know, maybe Sarah says, well, come on, Abraham, what does the thing look like? Is it up in the mountains? Is it down in the valley? He says, well, I can't quite tell you, but I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> and so he was a sojourner all of his life. A happy sojourner, because every once in a while he tasted. Ah, I met Melchizedek, old Kizzy. He's a great guy. And when I met him and I worshipped and I gave tenth, a tent to him and he gave me bread and wine, huh, it felt like I was in the city for a minute. Now I'm going to keep looking for the city. So you see, there's a veil there. So when Paul says, I want to discover Christ, so he says this, I want to know him, just as an example, we touched this last night, in the power of his resurrection. Well, I want to know him, not just the power of resurrection. How many of you would be happy with knowing the power of his resurrection? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of you would. But how about knowing him in the power of his resurrection? Ah, I see what you've done. It's like from death to life. Lord, I see you in it. 
now you've discovered something. Or I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Now, how many of you want to be in the fellowship of suffering? Oh, hands aren't going up. Well, what if when you got into suffering, and I'm not asking you to purposely get into it, although some of you are into it already, but in the fellowship of suffering, if you'll knock on that door and look to that veil, you'll see Jesus there fellowshipping with you. He has all things in common with you when you're going through suffering. He gets very close to you, as close as a brother when you're going through suffering. That's what you discover when you're going through suffering. Or you can go through suffering and look at it and say, no, that's, that's just suffering. i got to get out of this suffering. Or you can see through the veil that Jesus is there and you can get to know him. You see what I'm saying? So there is a veil of life that by faith has to be seen through. Paul says in several places, basically, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open. Because Paul says, I look not at the things that can be seen, because they're temporary, that is, earthly things, but I look at the things unseen, which are eternal. Now, how can you look at unseen things? He's saying, I look at things you can't see. But I look at them through the eyes of faith. Now, there's many brothers and sisters who were great heroes of faith. But they could never say, like Paul said, who was unique, I actually had a vision of Jesus. On the road to Damascus, I had a vision of Jesus. Not everybody could say that. But every Christian who's pressed on into the Lord can say, I've seen the Lord. Not with my eyes, but with the eyes of my heart. I've seen him. That's pressing through that veil and pressing upward into your calling. Listen, there's so much just beyond the veil of our lives. I like scientists, even like Hawking's, because Hawking's wasn't satisfied with just looking at the universe and said, that's it. He's always piercing through the veil. So, no, wait a minute. There's got to be multi-universes here. There's got to be something more. Where's that God, part God particle? And, of course, he found out last week all about that. <laughs> hey, but listen. At least he was searching. Now, how many of you are searching? Through the veil of that which can be seen. To find the Lord. Because I'll tell you something. The truth of the matter is. He's everywhere. Where Jesus is Lord over your life. And he's everywhere. Where Jesus is Lord. In your life. When he's indwelling Lord. And when he's Lord over your life. You can see him. By faith. As you go through various ventures. Okay. So let's start where Paul starts there in the, in the middle of chapter 3, verse 12. I press on so I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul was arrested on the road to Damascus, what was the first thing Jesus said to him about what he should do? He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? The Lord was Lord over his life. Now he can see Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Well, he said, go to, go to Damascus and it will be tell, told you what to do. But... What God said to him was, I want you to be a witness for me of all the things you've seen and heard. So the first thing Paul did was witness that I saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's what happened. He got baptized because that's witnessing. He began to witness the people around him. I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and he is God as well as man. I mean, that's quite a thing to see. But you know what happened because he obeyed and witnessed? He saw more. You see, obedience leads to seeing more. And because he obeyed and he was a witness, 
uh, of the Jesus he met on the road, Jesus came and appeared to him some more through the veil of his circumstances on earth. And Paul was the one who writes in the New Testament of all of the mysteries of God he discovered by discovering Christ. Christ was the key to understanding God. Paul, when God revealed himself to Paul, things started to make sense. The reason man is here on earth is for sonship. I see it because I see Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was the key to understanding all the mysteries. The mystery of the incarnation. How did he see it for himself? Now, he may have heard some other disciple talk about Jesus being incarnate, that is, God in the flesh. But that's just a doctrine until that becomes real to you. How does that become real to you? Paul says, when Jesus, by his grace, saved me, here's what he did. He revealed his son in me. So when I heard the disciples talking about what Jesus was like, I said, that's the same Jesus I know inward. Who is this one who's come to live within me? It's, it's God, but he's man, and he's incarnate. He's in me. Because what God is trying to do with all Christians is for Christ to dwell in all of us. And in that sense, for us to see and discover God through Jesus Christ. And so he came into the mystery of the Trinity. As Paul would put it, when Jesus came into his life and arrested him, the first thing he uttered out of his mouth once he got saved and realized what was going on was Abba. Because through Jesus, he met the Father. So, so you know Jesus. Now, he's your Savior. Now, have you met the Father? Well, do you know you meet the Father through Jesus? And then he suddenly felt something working in him, a life working within him. And, the, and, and, and Jesus said, that's the Holy Spirit. I baptized you in the Holy Spirit. So through Jesus, he, he met the Father, said Abba, and he met the Spirit, said precious Spirit, indwelling Spirit. Have you met the indwelling Spirit? Well, you see, just to know Jesus, that's just the surface if you don't take it on. But Jesus is known by you so that you can know the Father and you can know the Holy Spirit. Do you know how much you will learn about God as you're introduced to the Father and to the Holy Spirit? There's so much more to know. And then he learned the mystery of godliness. How can I live a godly life? He pressed in, Lord, I want to know. He said, I want to know your righteousness, not my righteousness. I know my righteousness is filthy rags. I want to know how you can make me righteous. And he's discovered Galatians 2.20 that it's no longer I, but it's Christ living in me that lives out of me, this Christian life. Wow! Within that veil, he saw man and the mystery of godliness living by God. He saw the mystery of the church. How did he see that mystery of the church? You know, it goes on, a whole list of mysteries that Paul saw. How did he see the mystery of the church? What's, what is the mystery of the church? Have you seen it yet? Do you go to church? Then you don't see the mystery. Are you church? Now you're getting close. When you see Jesus in your brother and sister, you've begun to see the mystery of the church. Because it's a living thing, not an organization. It's not a place that's meeting in Queens or a place that's meeting somewhere in New Jersey. The church is where Jesus is in his 
brothers and sisters and they're living. So you can imagine when Paul first got saved and he suddenly met with these Christians. Ananias, that, that, that faithful servant, came and said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to pray for you that you would be healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And this man, Ananias, we don't know him. He's from Damascus, is all we know. He laid hands on Paul and boom, he felt the power of the Holy Spirit come on and his eyes opened up and he could see. He said, whoa, that was a miracle. Ananias no, 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 wait, wait, that's not Ananias. That's God working through Ananias. Oh, you see, there's so much to know. Jesus veils himself in our brothers and sisters. Do you see him? Or you just say, ah, those are my brothers and sisters. I especially don't like my sisters. <laughs> Usually it's the sisters who say, I don't like the brothers. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. You've got to see through it to see Christ. He's right there. Don't be, don't be a jerk. Don't be outward. Don't, you know, people who think they get smart, they start looking at everything outwardly, scientifically, philosophically, logically. And what they do is lose the whole mystery of life itself. Because if you do that, you lose love. If you do that, you lose righteousness. You lose everything by an outward view. But you look inside. And Jesus is all over the place. Let me ask you a question. It says we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Christ is seated in the heavenlies. How far up is the heavenlies? Is it beyond this uh, ceiling here? This ceiling's even got a hole in it. I wonder if it's up there. <laughs> How high up is the heavenlies? Now, if you've heard me talk about it, I say the heavenlies is no more than six feet above your head. You know that Jesus may be sitting on his throne, as it were, six feet over your head, and there's angelic beings and and evil spirit beings flying around, zooming right around over your head. And you know something? Once in a while, you'll see that. But most of the time, you won't. It's a reality. And sometimes that veil is open and we see angels sometimes. Or even evil spirits sometimes. It's not far away. We're not talking about something way up in heaven like past, you know... Uh, some star way up there somewhere or some new galaxy. We're talking about something right over us. The spiritual forces at work and Jesus is very close, very close. And you think he's so far away. If you could just see through the veil for just a moment, you'd be surprised how close he is to us. Paul saw Christ and then he understood the mystery of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of Israel. He saw Christ and he understood the mystery of the cross being applied in his life. How come I try to do things? And when I try to do things to serve God, I have no power and I fail miserably. It's because I was trying to do something in my own strength. And then he does something by the power of Christ and he's, he's fruitful and effective. And you learn this mystery of the cross because you've discovered Jesus. It makes sense of your life and the trials, tribulations and things that you're going through. He even understood the mystery of the second coming. Oh. Now, you see, all of that stuff that I've just listed off, I just listed off a bunch of stuff. It sounds like just doctrines. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, yeah, the mystery of, yeah. Yeah, the mystery of mysteries. Yeah, I know. This guy tell me so many mysteries, I'm totally confused. You know what? <laughs> Every one of those mysteries can be reality to you, but it's all through Jesus that you'll discover it. You may have to go to him and say, I don't understand this, Lord. What, what, what do you mean? What is the mystery of your second coming? I don't want to just want to say, yeah, I believe in the second coming. I want to sense your second coming. That's what Paul did. He sensed it. 
And that's how in First Thessalonians he wrote all that stuff. Is you know, before the trumpet call, it will be cut up in the air, and then those who are dead will rise first. How did he learn all that stuff? Did he make it up? Did he like write child's books? Dr. Zeus, how we get to heaven? No, he saw these things in Christ Jesus. All that revelation's there for you. Because here's the point. Paul wanted to see and know all these things, but all of these things are knowable by every Christian who's been born again. Every Christian. But you've got to be willing to press on and get to know. And you can see that this, this knowing that he's talking about is love. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord is a story of love. And Paul loves the Lord so much. Now anyway, look. Now how, how are you going to get to know the Lord? You're not going to do it by being a monk, going to a monastery, sitting around, humming and praying. It's not, that, that works a little bit. Here's what happens. Obey His voice. Take up my yoke and learn of me. Yeah, right? Deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. These are the doorways into discovering the fullness of that mountain that's before you. And you can't even see it. There's the Lord. The Lord wants to introduce you. Now, some of you are new Christians. Now, let me tell you something. One of the most wonderful things that the Lord wants to do is, Lord Jesus wants to introduce you to his Father. John says in his first letter that little children... You know the Father, and you know your sins are forgiven. Now, you need to get to know the Father more. Because John says also in 1 John chapter 1, he says, and I want you to enter into fellowship. The fellowship that I am having with who? This is John while he's still on earth. He's writing a letter. He says, I am, my joy is full because I'm having fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know the difference? You ever talk to Jesus? And you ever talk to the Father? And do you know the difference? There's a difference to be known. Sometimes the Father will talk to you and it will be different than when Jesus talks to you. Do you know that? That's something worth finding out. It's not just one glob, a globule called God. No, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each God and all one but wanting to talk to you and each one wanting to show you the other. Jesus wants you to know the Holy Spirit because he's the operational power of God in your life right now. Jesus wants you to know that, but he also wants you to know the Father and the Father wants you to know Jesus. And so around it goes. There's great discovery going there. So when you first come to Christ, you begin to fellowship through Jesus Christ. And then one day you begin to understand how precious was his blood. Because his blood, which was shed for you, enabled you to be qualified to enter into the very presence of God's throne. Now, how many of you have been there? In the book of Hebrews, it says, draw nigh to the throne of God by the great high priest, Jesus Christ. So now Jesus takes you as the high priest. Now, he's the one who cleanses us from sin. You know, in the Old Testament, he's the guy took all the sacrifices, sacrificed everything, made us all right. And he takes us and he says, now come on, I want you to go into God's throne room and I want you to see God. 
with the eyes of faith. I want you to see God. Now you've just stepped into second grade from kindergarten. If you have the faith to draw near to God. I think so many young Christians are actually kind of afraid of God. And so you draw back rather than press in. But that's totally the wrong thing to do. You need to say, God, I may be a total screw-up and a mess, but I want to know you. All these songs we sing, so many of these songs we sing are so precious. I want to know you, Lord. I want to see your glory and grace. Do you really? Do you really? Like I said last night, is that just sentimental stuff? Or do you really want to know him? He's yours for the knowing. But you have to press through that veil onto him. Now, let me just talk about that veil a little bit, because this is the first main thing that Paul's talking about. Knowing the Lord. This is the first goal of his life. I know the Lord, but I want to know the Lord. And you do that through these various veils of things. And I'm just going to tell you a couple of them, because I know you're familiar with them already. The first one is this. I would say a good three quarters of the time that the veil will be torn and you will see the living God is when you're reading the word of God. It's a wonderful day when you discover that this isn't a book. This is a living word of Jesus Christ. When God speaks to you through his word and you obey, you find out that God uses this. This is like the veil. You can say, ah, it's just a book. But if you look through the veil and ask questions as you're reading and say, Lord, is this you talking to me? You begin to discover God through this word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. At first, it's just a scripture. I'm reading devos. I'm not getting much out of it. But every once in a while, he opens the veil and I see something in that word. And every time you see something in that word and you obey it, guarantee. You've just learned something more about God himself. You know how there was a woman on television who was, who was joking around about the fact that our Vice President Pence says, you know, I, I pray and I seek the Lord and, and speak to the Lord and he speaks to me. Did you hear about that? And one of the ladies on daytime television said, well, he says, we're, we're all people who like to speak to the Lord, but if the Lord speaks to you, I think you need a psychiatrist. Because most people really believe Many Christians believe that they can pray up to God. Like I, I give him, I, I, down, I upload my stuff. I never expect to hear an answer. And the poor old Vice President Pence, he said, you know, I actually pray to God and I listen for him to speak to me. So the woman said, woo. Well, that may be what the, Lord th what the world thinks. But this word is a way for God to speak to you. And if you don't avail yourself of going through this veil and coming into this word, then you'll never understand that when Jesus said, I am the living bread come down from heaven. How many of you sing, break thou the bread of life? And then one of the phrases in it is, beyond the sacred page, I see thee, Lord. Huh? See that veil there? Beyond the sacred page, it's the Lord. Many people, including the Apostle Paul and, and the disciples, they received God speaking to them through the Word of God. This is it. If you're not willing to crack this veil, then how are you going to press into the Lord? It's all talk. It's all sentiment. 
don't sing those songs if you don't mean it. You're going to press into the Lord. Then do your due diligence. And I'm not saying you've got to strain yourself. And I'm not saying you should find the Lord in every verse. You know, you look down here. It says, uh, my soul longed. And you say, oh, that's the Lord. <laughs> no, but you, you ask the Lord, are you saying something to me? Are you speaking something to me? And maybe that is what he's speaking to you. Your soul is longing for him. One of the reasons you feel so dissatisfied spiritually is because you're not being fed by the bread of heaven. See, that's one of God's supplies for making you rich. Paul was so rich, wasn't he? I mean, he just knew he knew the, the Bible, the Old Testament is what it was. He knew it in his day as part of his richness. All right, that's one thing. And then to see Christ one day. You see Christ in the body of Christ. Now, all the time you thought there were just people who get together on Sunday or something like that, and that that's the church, and then suddenly you see the Lord. Now, I'll never forget, I was a young man in 1971. I was a young man then. And uh, I went out to the streets of New York City, and there was an evangelist in town named Arthur Blessed. And I walked with him, and I worked with him, and I witnessed with him probably three, four, five times. He was there for one summer in 1971. And uh, as I'm walking with him, and as he's going about handing out tracts and witnessing to people, he did it after the Broadway shows got out at night. So we worked from 10 o'clock until 1 o'clock in the morning, 10 p.m. to 1 in the morning. And we'd go around the streets, around Broadway there, and talk to people as they're coming out of shows and all kinds of stuff. As I'm with this guy and watching him, one day, it was as clear to me as a bell. I'm watching Jesus fishing men. Because this guy was an evangelist. Now, an evangelist is not a position in the body of Christ. It's an expression of Jesus in the body of Christ. And then I met Stephen Kung. And for the first time in my life, I saw in a clear, crystal way, a teacher. Christ teaching. Pure, unadulterated word of God. You know... So many, so many people out there talking. I saw Christ as a teacher. I saw Lance and I, I, saw, I saw a prophet. But I didn't see a prophet. I saw Christ the prophet. You understand? It's not that you want to see a prophet say, oh, that guy's a prophet, that guy's an evangelist, that guy's a teacher. No, that's not the point. The point is, I see Jesus the teacher and Jesus the prophet and Jesus the evangelist. And I learn from them and learn and say, Jesus, I want to be like that i never forget the first time I met Jesus, the healer, when I was healed. And he came to me and healed me through somebody who laid hands on me. Now, I didn't see that brother, because I'm not an idolater, and I don't worship people. I say, oh, this guy's great. Oh, we got to build a church around this guy. No. You know, there's regular brothers and sisters, and God gives them an expression of Jesus. And I saw Jesus, that same healer who walked in Galilee, I saw him walking in that lady who had that healing gift. I've seen so many other things like that, but I don't want to tell you about my experience. Because the reality is this. All around you, there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There are those who are deacons, and those who are overseers, and those who are elders. There are all kinds of things. And all of that is, is Christ expressing himself through people. But do you see through the veil, or you just see people? Of course, none of these people are perfect. I mean, this, this dear brother who is an evangelist, and I saw Christ in him, but he's not as good an evangelist as Jesus was. Well, I know that. 
But I just saw it through the veil a little bit, you see? And it made me hungry. I want to live in that reality. See, I want to be in the body of Christ where everybody's alive to who they are. Not just a bunch of dead, dead meat sitting around. Living members of the body of Christ. Everybody's got something to share. Everybody's got a portion of Christ. Even a hallelujah. You know, I used to be in a, in a Baptist church. I was a Baptist preacher. As in this Baptist church, and they all sat there like they were dead. I mean, you know, I'd start preaching, they all sit there. Uh, you know, I want to inoculate them with something. I don't know what. But they're all sitting there dead. But every once in a while, I'd say something. And I'd say it with some vehemence. And there's a dear old poor man, a poor man, sitting on the front row. And he'd just break down crying and say, Hallelujah, he'd say. Well, it shocked everybody to death. <laughs> Most people were asleep. But there was Christ in that, brother. And the rest of them were pretty dead. When they go stand before that judgment seat that Maurice was talking about, do you think Jesus can be proud of you? You say, you know, you sat in church for 35 years and you never said a thing? Congratulations. <laughs> That's why the Lord loves So we, you know, I, I meet uh, here on Sundays and I also meet in Manhattan in the afternoon. Now we got a bunch of kids who are about five years old. There's a whole 14 of them, I think, and they're all about five, uh, five years old. And you know what? If we sing a song that they like, like, he is good, he is good, his love endures forever. They sing that so loud, they sing it louder than the parents. And in God's ears, it's like angels singing. Because these little kids are singing with their hearts to the Lord. Oh, for a, a dear teenager whose heart would be so for the Lord that people could see Jesus in them. You see? And, and as you discover that in your life, you discover Christ in so many of these different ways. Well, so you learn Christ in the body of Christ. He's there to be discovered, but you've got to press in, you see. And look past the blemishes and the imperfections and brothers and sisters. Here's where you really start to learn the Lord, when you start to serve Him. And I mean serve Him in earnest. Do you witness for him? Do you help those people at college that you talk to? Do you, you, you spend any time giving out of the things that you have received to Christ? It's when you serve him and take his yoke upon you that you learn of him. My, my, the lessons you learn. You meet Christ crucified. You meet Christ, the power of God. You meet Christ, your corrector. You meet Christ, your friend. You meet Christ, your advocate. You meet Christ, your co-worker. You meet Christ. You, you ask him the way and he opens the way and you realize, whoa, he has the keys of David in his hands and he opens the door and no man can shut it. Whoa, when you see that. You see the mighty power of Jesus. You saw it was he that did it. You come to an emergency and he puts... A word of wisdom or knowledge in your mind. You know, just the right thing to say. Just the right thing to do. And you know that didn't come from you. You say, thank you, Jesus. And the more you serve, the more you realize your own imperfections and your own frailties. And the more you serve, the more you see of His great care and love and mercy. His great using imperfect vessels for His glory and honor. Oh, there's so much to discover in that. Are you going to be a servant of the Lord? We live in the kingdom of God and we're to be servants of the Lord. And I know some of you are very young. But you're going to begin to serve the Lord just by being faithful and obedient. Becoming a student of the word. 
when the teacher says in your class, I want you to study, memorize a verse for next week, memorize two. two. Press into the Lord. Discover Him through His Word and these simple kinds of things. Here's another way you learn the Lord. In worship. Have you ever worshipped the Lord in a time where the people were all worshipping the Lord in such a wonderfully unself-conscious way that we seemed to be in the Spirit as we were worshipping and the flow of songs and the flow of prayers were just so wonderful and it's almost as if you could sense Christ in the midst worshiping the Father along with us. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. He stands in the assembly and worships the Father along with us. Have you ever experienced that? Or have you been too self-conscious aware of, you know, your voice isn't good or you don't want to sing? Or but, you know, in worship you can discover the Lord. You can sense the Lord through the veil. You can, as it were, touch Him. When you go out and you look at the stars in New York City, we don't have any stars, but when you go somewhere else <clears throat> and you look out and you see the stars out there in their full array, do you see through the veil of that sky to a creator of the universe? Does it make you worship? I know these are very simple things. But boy, David was really caught up with his creator, wasn't he? So many times he saw something in the universe something in creation that absolutely arrested his attention. And he said, ah, I see you behind that, God. I see the work of your hands behind that. And God says, ah, you caught me. God wants to be caught. God wants to be known. God wants you to see him through the veil. These are all kinds of ways we can know the Lord. Well, all right, so just now a couple of minutes on the second thing. He wants to know the Lord. That's number one. That's a personal thing. That's a love story. And through every sort of veil of circumstances, through difficulties, we discover the Lord. Through blessings, we discover the Lord. Through getting into a school, we discover the Lord. For being rejected from a school, we discover the Lord. If you press through the veil, you'll see that all things work together for the good. He's working something in you. If you'll knock on the door, if you'll ask, if you'll seek, you will find. Press in by faith. Get to know the Lord. Now, the second thing that Paul keeps talking about is gaining something. Now, he says, I want to gain Christ. <clears throat> but he also says a number of other things that lead us to understand that he is talking about more than just Christ himself. He's talking about all the things that have to do with Christ. So, as an example, our brother Daniel spoke about this. This, uh, If by any means I might attain to the out-resurrection from among the dead. You remember that yesterday? And he talked about this not being the resurrection. How many of you are going to experience resurrection? Uh, you know, all of you can raise your hand because you all will. Uh, some, some under judgment, and some under the judgment seat, and some under reward. Everybody will experience resurrection. Now, how many of you will experience out-resurrection? Ah, this resurrection, which is a reward. Now, why was this so important to Paul? Now, I know, I, I know I'm speaking to deaf ears here, but I want you to open your ears for just a little bit. Because Paul got to know Christ the King, he came into a real understanding of the absolutely tremendous kingdom that was coming to earth through Christ the Messiah. This thing we call the millennium 
when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth. Are you interested in that at all? You should be. Paul was absolutely over the top about it because he knew that when this kingdom comes, every man who's in that kingdom, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, will be a servant in the kingdom, will, will understand the beauty of this earth and the beauty of God's king and the beauty of things being done righteously and the order that God's always intended and the personal uh, uh, destiny in your life. There's a whole thing that's going to happen in that millennium. Oh, what a wonderful time. It's going to be heaven on earth. And Paul says, I want in on it. Now, the way you get in on it is being rewarded in that kingdom. As it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, Paul wanted to be part of that, of those who reign with Jesus for a thousand years. You're sitting in the throne with Jesus for a thousand years. You're the ones that he says, good job, well done, faithful servant. And you live and reign with him for a thousand years. And that thousand years may not be literally a thousand years. It may be a lot longer. But it's going to be a time when the earth is finally doing what it's supposed to do. And where mankind is doing what man is supposed to do. And you discover what life's really about. And you get to walk the streets of Manhattan with no fear of somebody mugging you. And if you go to school and you get great grades, everybody says, that's wonderful. And if you have a struggle with your life because you're, I don't know, you've got some trouble with something, people help you. They don't hurt you. They don't bully you. Life. It's going to be real life. It's going to be heaven on earth. Paul says, I want in. I want in. I want to be part of that. I want to be a part of that kingdom thing. I want to be uh, come out into that resurrection for that thousand years. After the thousand years, everybody else is going to be raised. But if they're not faithful, they miss the kingdom opportunity. That's what Paul's talking about. So I want to gain that kingdom. I want to gain and be part of that out-resurrection of the dead. Well, okay, maybe that's too difficult for you to understand. Okay. A second thing he realizes, as he's talking about gaining something, is that he realizes as he's pressing into his earthly calling... He's also preparing himself for his heavenly calling. That's why he says, I press on for the goal, I see the finish line, of the prize, of the upward call, or the high calling, or the calling upward of God in Christ Jesus. So while I'm here on earth, I'm actually preparing for heaven. How long are you going to be here on earth? How long? How long do you think? Probably you're going to reach 90 years old, if you do well. Uh, you may reach 90 years old. You know what? That's just a blip on the screen of eternity. But during these 90 years you're going to have, you're going to learn the Lord, and you're going to learn your eternal vocation. You have an eternal vocation, the church, the, the Bible says. And right now, you're just practicing. Right now, you're getting your, you're, you're getting your dimensions, and you're, you're figuring things out, and you're beginning to serve on this earthly calling. So Paul, what did he do? He went around planting churches. He went around preaching the gospel. He went around teaching the word of God. And all of that was his earthly vocation. But he was building toward an eternal vocation. Because the, our calling is an upward call. It's a call on earth. But look through the veil. It's a call 
to serve in heaven and for the purposes of heaven. So he's looking beyond. He's looking beyond his earthly vocation because he's seen some things. In Christ, the king, he's seen the kingdom. In Christ and his throne, he's seen the new Jerusalem. In Christ, in heaven, he's seen heaven. Just like John had a vision of heaven. You know, these are talking about eternal things. But Paul is talking about pressing on to the new Jerusalem. Paul's talking about pressing on to that wedding. When the bridegroom and the bride come together. And there's this union and blessing. This wedding in heaven and earth will be joined together in that whole thing. Oh, listen. That's what we're doing here on earth. That's what Abraham did. That's what Moses did. That's what these people did. They walked on this earth, but they saw something of an eternal vocation that they were heading for. And Paul says, we also have such a vocation that we're heading for. There's going to be crowns, our brother Daniel spoke about. There's going to be thrones. There's going to be positions. There's going to be a rod of rule. There's going to be cities to handle. There's going to... You remember, James and John must have seen something about this because that's when they went to Jesus, Jesus, uh, James and John's mother. Went to Jesus, hey Jesus, can they sit on your left and your right hand in the kingdom? Because that's something wonderful to be. How about your motivation for that which lies beyond? Now I know when you're 13 years old, you're not thinking too much about heaven. But I just turned 74, so I'm thinking more about heaven. And I'm telling you what, if you be faithful on earth, heaven's a wonderful place. And the kingdom will be heaven on earth, and you'll want to be there too. And all these things are provided. It starts out when you begin to follow Jesus, and he takes you as a worshiper, as a priest, as a servant of his, and takes him and teaches you how to live on this earth, storing up treasures in heaven. Paul was pressing for this kingdom. Paul was pressing for these honors. Paul was pressing for a throne. Paul was pressing to be with Jesus. All these things. Really, Paul was pressing for the moment where Jesus would say, good job, well done, faithful servant. Now, how about you? I talk about this gaining something. Have you gained Christ? Do you know him? Oh, yeah, you know him. But do you know him? Are you willing to press toward that goal? Are you, willing to, are, you, are you willing to look through the veil of the word and of service of the body of Christ and see Christ and see Christ? And every time you see him, I say, I see you. And you'll gain some understanding of who he is. You know, we sing, the, we sing a song, a hymn. I think probably most of you have sung it. It just says, Hast thou heard him, seen him, known him? Is not thine a captive heart? You see, the writer understood that once you hear the Lord, once you see the Lord, once you know the Lord, you'll be captured by the Lord. And you'll want to press in and follow the Lord. Has that been your experience? We sing songs, and I just pray that every song that we sing over here, these worship songs, will be true to your heart. That you really want to do all those things that we sing about about knowing Him, about worshiping Him, about making Him number one. Do you know Him this way? We may not be... 
I don't believe, I think I could safely say none of us are going to be the servant that Paul was. He saw so much of Christ, a mountain of reality. Now, we may not be a servant like Paul, but we can have the same heart. Because God looks at the heart and he looks at your heart. What's your heart? What's your heart? Only God can see that. You can put on a good show even here this weekend, but God knows your heart. What's your heart about this matter of pressing on? You know, it's not big things you do. What did Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in little things. Would you be faithful to Jesus as his servant in little things? Just before Jesus died, Mary came and broke an alabaster box and poured perfume on Jesus' feet and, 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 and covered him in this wonderful oil. And Jesus said, this is a little thing that she's done. And yet every time the gospel is spoken of, she will be spoken of. This is her reward. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But do you do little things for Jesus? Are you discoveries, daily discoveries of Jesus and who he is? Well, let me finish by just sharing three scriptures with you. So everybody, let's get your Bibles out. Just look at three scriptures and then we'll finish. In John chapter 3, I just want to encourage you by these three scriptures. In John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he talks about that kingdom of God. And he lets us know that everybody who's born again has already entered into the kingdom of God. It's a wonderful statement. He puts it in the negative because he's trying to convict uh, Nicodemus. But in verse 5, he says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Those who are born of the Spirit, those who are born again, have a place in the kingdom of God. Now, so this means that already there's a destiny. There's an inheritance for you in the future. So, so wonderful. And you're already entered in. Now, you've entered in but you need to enter in abundantly. Now, how can you do that? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter makes it quite clear in 2 Peter chapter 1 that in order to enter into the kingdom abundantly, you need to keep growing and not going backwards. Just look at verse uh, 8. He talks about adding faith and diligence and knowledge and self-control and, and love. And then he said, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. God will abundantly open the doors to the kingdom of God to anybody who just keeps growing. Not shrinking back. Pressing on into the Lord. Learning Him and His ways. Obeying His word. Learning, discovering right and wrong and life and death and all those things that we learn as we discover Jesus Himself. And the last scripture is from 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it simply says this. 
And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, we know that God has placed into our hearts agape love. Now, this means that we're able to love God. There's nobody here who's not able to love God if you're born again. Because the God of love has first loved you and enabled you to love him back. Now, that's the question. Will you love him back? Will you press on? Press on. By his grace, press on. I'd like for us to sing that song one more time. And I will have to bring, bring over this crazy machine. And, um, So we, we've learned this as a song, but now I wonder if we could sing it by faith and make it a prayer of our hearts that we're going to press on. We're not just going to say, I got the t-shirt. We're going to say, I love Jesus. And by his agape, I'm going to press on. Okay? Here we go. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching out for the things ahead. I press on, I press on.
just want to pray together tonight. want to pray that we'll have hearts to press into you. We know it's either shrinking back or pressing forward. We want to press forward. We pray, Lord, we want to let go, forget those things that are behind, those baggages, those things that hold us back, our selfishness, our foolishness, our, our emotions, and all kinds of things that get in the way. Lord, we see a prize before us. It's a tremendous Christ. A Christ of love, a Christ of Savior, a Christ who's a king, a Christ who's a creator of the universe. He's a tremendous Lord. We want to know you more. Through whatever vehicle, Lord, we want to see through the veil and see you through the vehicle. Whatever circumstances we're going through, oh Lord, help us to see you through the circumstances. You're, you're making men and women for eternity. You're producing sons for glory. There's a lot of stake in this situation. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us, even in this hour, to be faithful to you. Now, let's just remain praying for another second. I just want to ask people, specifically those people to stand, who had stopped pressing, but who want to stand and say, by faith, I'm, by the grace of God, I'm pressing on in Jesus tonight. You came here this weekend. You had faltered and stopped. You found reasons to pause or baggage to claim. But now you want to press on to Jesus. You want to step back into that faith march forward into him. Now, if you're such a person, I want you to stand tonight. Everybody else pray. These are for those that we want to just pray that the Lord will help them to be faithful as they stand and press forward into him tonight. Is there anybody here? Stand up now. Lord, I haven't been pressing on. I want to press on. That's it, Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to be true. You know my heart. Whatever your problems may be, you press into the Lord with them. There's no going back. There's going forward. Lord, I'm thankful for these ones who are standing. I know there's many here who are going as best they know. And I pray you'll bless them. But for these ones who are standing, I pray that you fill them with the Holy Spirit and give them a new sense of discovery as they open the Word of God. That you'll show them what you want them to do by way of obedience and service. Even the little things. Even of worship. Of obedience that involves pressing into you. Oh Lord, do pull back the veil of our lives and help us to see what you're doing in them. Help us to see Jesus in your Word, in your life. Lord, we're so thankful for these ones willing to stand. We know there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We pray that your precious blood would cleanse them from all sin and bring them again on a track where they sense the light of God on their path and that you'll shed abroad the love of God in their hearts as well. Oh, Lord, how you love all of your children here, how you love them all. You're just behind the veil, searching, trying to draw them to yourself. Oh, Lord, help them by the Holy Spirit to go through the veil and into the Lord Jesus there to dwell and there to abide. Thank you for these dear ones who stood. Thank you for these who were seated. Oh, Lord, take us all as an offering for yourself tonight. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you uh, think tonight before tomorrow in your testimony, if some of you who stood tonight want to stand and just testify simply about it, you think about that overnight. And let's see how the Lord leads tomorrow when you get together. God bless you. Good to be we did this year.